from Headstuff Studios in Dublin, welcome to Motherfuck Lore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dara Crochet. I'm joined today by a very special guest. You already know her name. Depending on which app you use to, to enjoy the podcast, you'll almost certainly have seen her wonderful art for our episodes. It is none other than the wonderful Kirsten Shield. See you, Gwich. Hey, got on, Kirsten. Yeah, I'm grand. It's a bit warm today, which I'm not enjoying. Like I straightened my hair this morning and there was no point. <laughs> it's just kind of slowly growing over the day. And mm. uh, by this evening, it'll I'll have been back to where I started. Yeah, my, my beard is freaking out from all the humidity. It's <laughs> does, a, it, does it affect beards as well? Yeah, it does. Wow. It's, it, it's, it's maybe not as much because there isn't as much beard hair unless you're, unless you're a real rock star and you've got a very long beard. But generally speaking, yes, it gets bushier and more aggressive and itchier in the heat. I just kind of imagined you having like a tiny little pair of straighteners on your beard, <laughs> trying to sort it out in the mornings. Just like, God, I hope the humidity doesn't get to it today. I think Oscar might uh, have some sort of uh, beard straightening device. He does have a very straight beard, it's, actually, now that you mention it. It's particularly smooth. Yeah. No, it's a, it's amazing, though. <laughs> mm. What a beard. <laughs> he does. He has, a, he has a phenomenal beard. And I think we were all very impressed by Oscar's beard and yeah. all a little jealous. Yes, but. even me. <laughs> My beard is nowhere near as nice as that. <laughs> it's uh, but yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a glorious mane of hair, and it's a fine thing. But yes, as you know, this um, this strange well, climate change, lots of downsides to climate change. One of which is that it makes hair care a little bit more difficult. I don't know why I even bother anymore. Like it's getting to a point now where, like, I went to LA two like three weeks ago, and it's like desert heat there. There is no humidity at all. And all of a sudden there was, they had like this mini heat wave thing going on. It was 36 degrees. But for an Irish person, that's not okay. <laughs> I went to a shop and bought like Factor 90, which I didn't know they made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used the whole bottle in four days. <laughs> that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just shocking because I think we, I think our highest temperature ever in Ireland is, is it's just happens to be that number that English people love making a say, which is the highest ever is 33 and a third. See, when I lived in England, I people would constantly ask me to say that number. But because my accent is a little bit posh, I don't say it like that. I say 33 and a third. They were so disappointed, were they? They were. And they constantly be asking me and I'm like, I don't say it the way you want me to say it. <laughs> I mean, I, I would if you want me to. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't, uh, doesn't naturally happen like that. Uh, an English friend of mine said he identified a, um, a kind of a... Kind of a, what's the word? I think kind of an Irish paradox, which is that the more unusual an Irish person's name is spelt, the less likely they are to have a funny accent. That's oh, that's so true. And so that, yeah. and that like Donald Gleeson doesn't have the the accent that they enjoy so much at laughing at, and yeah, yeah. like neither does Dara Breen. But then when it's a, it's a footballer who has, just has a kind of a, a normal name like Gary Kelly or something like that, then it's a different situation altogether. Yeah, yeah. No, I never even thought about that. Huh? It's uh yeah it's it's he has he I should probably name the theory after him yeah but I'm not going to <laughs> call the, the the dark theory <laughs> well, I don't want to be the dark theories yeah Alison Bechdel, uh, Alison Bechdel didn't come up with the Bechdel test she referred to a friend doing it and then but she got all the credit she says don't credit to me credit oh, to my no. amazing friend I hundred percent thought that it was her. Because yeah, she basically she um, did a comic strip, basically describing a conversation with her and her friend, and her friend gave her the test, and then yes, but unfortunately, only one of those was a kind of Pulitzer Prize or National Genius Grant Award winner, and they're only they're always going to be the one walking away at the credit. Yeah, yeah. So the reason we haven't fired Kristen today, as well as because it's long overdue, I think a lot of our listeners who really enjoy your art wanted to know what kind of person is this Kirsten Shield. <laughs> <laughs> one that talks a lot. 
<laughs> exactly. Surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how did you get involved in this whole motherfucker thing? Um, it actually... <laughs> so, Darko kind of told the story that, that he asked me to do this, which is true in part, but... Uh, the other half of it is is that I kind of forced him to do this. So he, we knew each other from Twitter from way back, like when he was doing the Irish for, I'm saying he, like you're not sitting, the only other person sitting <laughs> the in the room. <laughs> when Dark was doing um, the Irish for Twitter, we had a lot of back and forth because it was when I was just starting to get back into Irish as an adult. I was living in the UK and I was really very homesick, was trying to reconnect with Irish as a language. So I was trying to learn again from scratch. Um, so we were chatting back and forth and I would often do little tiny illustrations or like doodles of, of stuff that, of words that he had tweeted. So there was one, I, I think it's a, is it a type shore? Type shore. Yeah. 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 So there was like a, sto- a teller of ghost stories. So I drew like mm. this little old man with, it, it was kind of based on, do you remember our first Halloween episode? I did a guy and his speech bubble was kind of turning into a ghost. Yeah. It was like an early draft of that. <laughs> <laughs> And we kind of back and forth about a few things and about like book ideas, I think, really early. Yeah. Um, and then when when you decided to do the podcast, uh, you said you'd got in touch with me and you're like, I would love you for you to do the logo. And I said, Derek, how about instead of as well as a logo, I illustrate every single week for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and you were like, but it's not a visual medium. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but look at this other podcast that does it. This, this was a thing, uh, and then Kirsten did show me that, that other there were other podcasts that had weekly or or ep- episode linked uh, illustrations, and it was it was such an elegant and lovely idea. When I saw it, I was just thought, yeah, can't not do it. I couldn't unsee it. Yeah, it's it's kind of nice that it uh, grinds a little bit more in the visual medium that is the internet. Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed, and it's uh, and it's and then when the with the motherfucker account as well it became a very nice way of uh, marking new creators and um, inviting people in, and it, it it just became part of the the, the visual medium, and uh, it became it became part of the yeah you know, the visual branding of the, of the entire podcast and the broader project as well. I think now it's become a thing that every every fear Gaelgor in Dublin and beyond wants to have their own curse and shield portrait. <laughs> and they can't get on me. You gotta be nice to me so I can invite you on the show. It is really, really nice actually how a lot of the guests after they're on the podcast keep the illustrations as their little icons on like Twitter and on Instagram. Like Moontour Meg has hers and she sent me a lovely message afterwards thanking me. And um, uh, Cece? Yeah, Cece, Cece Byer as well has her has her image as as her Twitter uh, avatar as well. And then there's Alva Malone as well. Yeah, yeah, she's had it for ages. I think she's probably the, the one with the longest on it. That's right. And like on Facebook, I think it's like, no, on Twitter, Emer has it, uh, Ola has it, somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, so it's, it's definitely out there. There's, there's uh, you, you must be the, the most prolific portraitist of the of, of, Irish, of Irish podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. Yeah, no, it's a nice title to hold. It's one that I never thought I would hold. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the small victories where I can. Absolutely. It's like, you know, if you go to some of those posh restaurants and they have all those caricatures in the wall of, of various barristers and stuff who've been... When we open our mother folklore restaurant. <laughs> yes. Can you imagine the puns of the food names? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Bowring steak. I've started something here. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, as a matter of fact, someone was talking to me about, about the idea of a kind of a, of a bilingual themed restaurant. And But yeah, no, that definitely, I think if we, if it doesn't get turned to a hotel first, yes, the, the motherfucker restaurant will be a, a, a very nice idea. I think, yes, and I can already, if I already have it decorated in my mind. 
<laughs> just wall to wall illustration. We can wall, we can literally wallpaper it with the amount that we probably will have done for the podcast by then. There's only one problem in terms of actually what what the what dishes will be served because we all know there's a certain dish that certain members of the team will insist upon, <laughs> and I won't. <laughs> He's talking about coddle. <laughs> I am. Kristen, have you ever had coddle? I haven't, and I'm a Dubliner, and I never had it. I think it's both my parents. Well, my dad is from Merino, and my mum is from Cork. And uh, no, it was never inflicted upon us. We did definitely grow up with like boiled sausages, though, were a, a big staple in our house, ah. which uh, kind of freaks me out when I think about them now, like the rubbery, you know, the skin at the end. Yes. <laughs> and we dipped them in ketchup, and oh god. <laughs> oh god. Did your mother ever serve you drachine? No, what's drachine? It's a weird cork dish. No, she she almost like has actually she's going to be listening to this. So she's probably <laughs> going to kill me. Um, she's almost completely got no Cork accent anymore. Oh, yeah, it's like she moved to Dublin when she was seventeen. So I guess like spending she spent the vast majority of her life in Dublin. And hmm. um, when she talks to her family, it comes back a little bit. Yes, I find this that also that my my own mother. I mean, she has a bit of a Cork accent. It gets much more extreme when she's talking to Cork people. Yeah, and I find my my um. My side side accent gets really extreme when I'm talking to lads from school. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I like I just moved back to the south side after eight years away from it, <laughs> and it's come back full force. I think I met <laughs> I met a girl from school on the dart yesterday, and it was just like, "How are you?" <laughs> it wasn't like that. That's not yeah. my accent. <laughs> it's it's funny. I think, and it's weird weird to think that something as as personal as voice can can be as flexible as that, and. And somehow connected to our relationships rather than just our, our deep self. Yeah, like my dad, his Merino accent, he lived in uh, the US for from for a few years when he was in his early 20s. And he said he had to have make an effort to completely get rid of his Northside accent because the Americans couldn't understand a word he said. Mm. So he's got this kind of weird hybrid. Uh, it's like a Dublin accent with a... He hasn't really got an American twang. Mm-hmm. But like it's a, it's very soft. I do know that because my my brother and his wife are living over in America at the moment. Uh, they both found that you know they had to kind of overly intonate words so that they would be understood by their colleagues. Yeah, yeah. And that it without actually making any effect, they just started sounding a little bit more American. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a, it's a funny thing they just found, particularly things like say you know the um, and a lot of our American listeners maybe they they may have an opinion on this, but sometimes a person would say you know like taking out the the rubbish and saying. You get this kind of look and say, "Oh, you got to take out the trash." Yeah, and then you just find you have to, just in order to be understood, to start doing the when and Rome yeah, yeah. thing, and then it, after a while, it starts it just becomes a habit. I lived in the UK in Manchester for seven years, and um, I I started talking completely differently. Like my accent didn't change at all because I was clinging onto it desperately. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was there, I started changing the words that I was using because they don't understand the word press. Oh, so press in Ireland is another word for cupboard. They don't. Yeah, they don't put anything in the press. No. Th- so I had to start saying cupboard, and they don't understand hot press. Well, well, where? Where? <laughs> like, where do they keep their towels? The airing cupboard. Ah, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> and I had. I couldn't say. Uh, oh, he was given out to me. They're like, he was what? They don't understand these little hiberno. I I knew I knew giving out was an Irish thing. Yeah. And oh, it is completely. Yeah, it's <laughs> and uh, if you say the letter or, or they they don't like that. So when I was spelling my name, I'd be like K I or. They're like what? They want to you. They want you to say R. 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 <laughs> I'm not a fucking pirate, mate. 
<laughs> but yeah, they're just like, or what? <laughs> they you know, don't understand it's, this. That, that's a funny one. And they do say, they'd say Z, though. They do say Z. That's not Z. Paris. Z is just confusing because it sounds like C. <laughs> but it's interesting with the letter or thing. Do Americans say R as well? I think they do. I think they do. Yeah. I wonder if it's a purely Irish thing that we say the letter or. I must because you know, wonder at some point like people say A or A, and yeah. you know we all we all get along. We all understand what's going on, but for some reason, or is a is a sticking point. Yeah, yeah. I never completely understood why. But there's also the um, other one is they don't talk about college. In no. the UK, they talk about uni. Uni. And I started saying that loads when I came back. And people were <laughs> slagging me off that I sounded really posh. <laughs> it's, it's the funniest thing because whenever I'm teasing my wife, who is from Antrim, about, you know, the, um, about kind of Irishness and Britishness and those kinds of things, because like she gets, she would have some, some of our people in her wider circle, which would call her British and, you know, joking. Yes, no, who knows? But then I'd say, well, well, where, what was that place you went to after school and before work? And she goes, well, uni. I was like, yeah, see, but, but obviously not. She's absolutely 100% Irish, as is anyone from the six counties who considers themselves to be. Just so there's no confusion. <laughs> yes, science dark. So, um, Kirsten, you, you, you're not just some person who does art for me on the side. You are, you've made an entire career for yourself in the artistic world. Yes. Yeah, so do you want me to give you like a history of it? <laughs> yeah, well, Davey, basically, there's going to be people, I know there's going to be people listening to this podcast who are, who like doing art are interested in maybe if it is something they might want to do at third level it's yeah. uh we're entering a scary uncertain time people are wondering is is, is is an artist is an artistic career a good choice for me but then they like they don't they'll often hear from maybe cautionary tales from their mom about their friend's cousin and who who did art and something else happened but you know what, what is your experience of being in school deciding to art possibly having weighing it against other options then going out and doing it and then finding work afterwards so I come from a big family of engineers uh, I'm the eldest of five and my dad is a professor of engineering two of my siblings are engineers um, the, there's another one talking about it now she's doing her leave insert <laughs> this year and she's talking about it as well mm -hmm. um, so I was always like a black sheep like I was constantly drawing but for some reason as a teenager I never remember wanting to be an artist, I kind of always thought, oh, it's a hobby. It's a hobby I'm obsessed with, but it's a hobby. Yeah. Um, and then when I was 15 and in transition year, uh, we were doing work experience. And for the last slot, I didn't have anything. And I was kind of panicking. And then my dad's friend was in advertising and had worked with Brown Bag Films in Dublin. And he said, oh, I can get you a week's work experience with Brown Bag. You like drawing? And I'm like, I do like drawing. <laughs> yeah. So I went in and I was just kind of, this was when Brown Bag Films was a lot smaller. They were doing, they had just started doing series work. They were doing Noddy, Octonauts. They were just starting to develop it. Um, they were doing a series called Olivia. That was their first CG thing, yeah. I think. Okay. Oh, I could be wrong. Um, but I sat there and I had never seen art as a nine to five job where you come into an office and you draw all day and then you go home and you get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that existed. So after I saw that, there was no going back. I was like, yeah. I can't do a normal job because if I ever did, I would be eternally jealous of people who did this because I know that I can do this. Yeah. And the money didn't matter to me like because my dad was always just like, oh my God, you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be supporting you forever, which is a fair enough. Like he also didn't know about this. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this hidden world. So I decided that I was going to do animation um, 
but I also really wanted to move out of my house <laughs> because I was had all these siblings and, you know, it was driving me a bit nuts. So mm-hmm. I decided to go to England. So I, <laughs> I went to Bolton University, which... Uh, in the year 2011 was the bottom of the league table. Like literally the last one. <laughs> Go Bolton. <laughs> How can we be universities if you can't be friends, huh? Exactly. <laughs> um, but I went there because my lecturers were all part-time. So they were all still in the industry. They were illustrators, animators, um, some character designers, like all this kind of stuff. And uh, there, it, the course was illustration and animation, which was two huge subjects that I was enormously interested in Hmm. so I picked it on those on that basis and it was like the best decision I ever made Um, because I learned so much about the current industry and about what was going on and how to break into it who to talk to all this kind of stuff that is a big gap in art universities like they kind of can teach you all the technical stuff but then you're kind of left on your own when you leave which is a big problem for a lot of people Um, so I started my freelance illustration career while I was in my second year of university um, I started doing these like really nerdy maps mm-hmm. of Lord of the Rings and Skyrim and like all of this stuff. But they saw like I, I was doing originals. Like I had these massive big sheets of handmade paper and I was like painting for mm-hmm. hours. <laughs> like I know those maps off by heart <laughs> because oh, yeah. I painted them so many times. But it really started my career. Like I started then drawing for like fantasy novelists who needed a map for their book. They were like, oh, I've made this world and I need a, a visual of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went into... Uh, kind of like advertising for um, like medieval festivals and posters for them and that kind of thing. Good stuff. Yeah. My first client was also kind of my worst one um, where he kind of ripped me off and uh, yeah, threatened to sue him and it didn't go down well. So I just kind of left it. I just (laughs) ran away. I was like 19 and I was like, goodbye. This is, obviously you may not want to give more details than that, but it is something and in the freelance world getting actually going out and getting paid can be is something that people don't really talk about yeah it was it's the because after that then I I ended up leaving uh, freelance Hmm. Um, I ended up accidentally kind of ending up in animation but it was what I had always wanted to do was was have uh, a studio job because freelancing is great um, I think it's kind of romanticized because 99% of the time you are chasing people for money yeah and like they don't want to pay you <laughs> so mm. you know I had all these kind of methods where it's just like you know yeah if it's under 500 you pay me up front and you know pay me this much 20% or whatever like it's it's complicated and you have to have a head for money mm. and foresight and you have to be quite um hard on people it's it's a thing, and and I would I dare say there's you don't get a module of that in most art schools. No, we did though, which was great in oh. our in our third year. This was why having these guys was so great. In our third year, we had professional practice, which was about how to write contracts. It was about you know what your rights are in the UK anyway as mm. a as a creator, and it was about um you know how to look for work, how to market yourself, all this kind of thing. Um, so that was really helpful for when I left when I left uni, because <laughs> um, it just set me right on the right path. Um, but yeah, it needs to happen in more universities, like more third level institutions, and th- that needs to be explained to people because it is the hardest part of the job by yeah, far. Definitely, and I know just from my own freelancing and writing that it's uh, it's like. When you when you do actually develop a business relationship with someone who actually does pay very promptly, it is a, it's it's such a huge weight off your mind. Oh yeah, you cling on to them. <laughs> a friend of mine is a journalist. Yeah, was wait was some some years ago was waiting for over six months for 
for payments for up to about a thousand euros. And I remember thinking, you know, if you went to the bank and asked for a thousand euro loan for six months, you know, they they would charge you, you know, a decent amount of interest. Yeah, yeah. And but you but freelancers are effectively um, providing interest free credit to a lot of these not organizations. Al- not always. So on on when I was freelancing on my uh, invoices, I would have it's due within thirty days, and after that, it's like a, I think it might have been like eight percent interest rate every week oh. for, for when I was late. So, you know, I was, I was, but you, you have to be like that. You have yeah. to be very pushy and be like, give me my money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a, yeah, not for everybody. I think people like a, a lot of artists aren't that kind of person. That's yeah. why they're artists mm-hmm. is because they're not talkative and brave and confident. And it's, it's, it's the thing. I, I know it was an issue in medicine years ago that a lot of doctors didn't want to, uh, they wanted to create a, a kind of a, a separation between them and the actual billing process. And that's one of the, why the doctor secretary was such an important role, because a lot of doctors felt that they couldn't actually maintain a patient's trust while also yeah. saying, when, when, when are you going to pay me? <laughs> no, it's very true. And like, that's why uh, in the illustration world, we have agencies, mm-hmm. which uh, I had an agent once um, down in London. Uh, I'm not going to name them because <laughs> I'm about to bitch about them. Fair enough. <laughs> um, so I had, the, and it was a massive agency, like one of the biggest in the UK. Mm-hmm. But because it was so big, I was kind of uh, just a number. Yeah. You know, they didn't know my work. They didn't know me. They were just like, we got this job in and we think you'll be suitable. And, you know, we want to give a sample to the client. And then they'd, they'd take a cut of the total fee. Um which was huge. It was mm-hmm. like thirty five percent. That's a fairly big cut. Yeah, for and then when I saw the the prices that they were getting for the work, um, I was like, I can negotiate better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so I did a I did a bad thing. I left the agency mid job because I was just so pissed off with them. I was like, you can find someone else to do the job on your massive books of people. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, it's tough times, I suppose. But that's um. This is part of, I mean, you know, obviously there's the, th- the thrills of being an artist or a freelance artist or a freelance journalist have to be balanced with these these realities and these tough decisions. It's a, it's definitely been an, an enlightening experience. It's been a very interesting decade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for a lot of us. But yeah, so, th- but you are no longer freelancing. You are now a, um, or you, you are now primarily employed in one of Ireland's most exciting animation studios. Yeah, so back in 2016, uh, I was still living in Manchester and um, I had just met this group of people. One of them was Irish and uh, I just met this group of people and they were all in animation. They had all just started working at this new animation studio in Manchester called Brown Bag. And I was like, I know Brown Bag. I was there when I was 15 mm-hmm. um, and um, they were hiring. So I became friends with these guys, you know, just kind of as part of the art scene and then the art director was like, you know, we're looking for a background artist. Um, do you want to? Do you want to apply? So I applied, did a test, which is basically when you apply to an animation studio, you get given like a sample of the the style that they do, and you kind of have to recreate it to prove that you can yeah. do the style and be adaptable. And mm. so I did that, and uh, he gave me a job. So my first. Uh, show that I was on was Nella the Princess Knight for Nickelodeon. Excellent. And, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of, uh, it was very colourful. <laughs> so I learned a lot um, on that project. Uh, and I spent a year and a half as a background artist on that. Um, I think I painted something ridiculous, like 700 backgrounds. 
<laughs> which I don't want to think about how many hours of my life that is. I can only imagine, yeah. <laughs> I did that fucking show. Because <laughs> I remember like an awful lot of, um, I remember being told that an awful lot of cartoons, particularly in the 80s, Danger Mouse, the original Danger Mouse, they would always end up going to the North Pole to chase a chase say, someone because snow is easier to draw and this is one of the reasons <laughs> that South Park has had a snowy background and some of their kind of popular cartoons they said well fuck it let's just put them in the North Pole for some reason see that's funny you say that because on Nella I hated the snow episodes because they made the snow glittery so oh. when so whenever we had to paint snow you were there like painstakingly painting glitter onto every single bit of snow and it was it took forever um but no, that makes sense if you don't have glitter on the snow. <laughs> um, so then after the, that year and a half, um, we got a new show into the Manchester branch. Um, it was for Universal and it's not out yet, so I'm still not allowed to talk about it, but I can say it's it's for Universal. Okay. Um, so I got promoted to being an assistant art director on that, which was very exciting. Makes sense. But at the time, there was no art director, so I was doing it by myself, um, which was properly being thrown in at the deep end because it was developing it from the ground up so there was you know they had some kind of sketches of what they wanted the characters and stuff to look like but we had to design the whole world do Mm. maps do you know all this kind of I'm trying not to say anything about it (laughs) (laughs) I almost did there Um, so yeah I did that and then I had a team an amazing team like I I love those guys to bits um, of 13 um, and they were just so talented and so it was amazing. Um, anyway, so then after a year, I decided I was just, I was so homesick. Brexit had just happened. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I don't really want to wait around to find out what happens here. Um, because Brexit for my industry, the way that it's going in the UK mm-hmm. would be a disaster. It does seem that, like, I, 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 most of what I know about cartoons I get from like what, the, what my children watch. And it does seem an awful lot of the big cartoons are international, yeah. are international co-productions. Yeah. They have uh, certain bits done in this country, certain bits done there. And it seems it would be so easy to just remove the UK from the picture entirely if it was if there was a risk involved. Or, yeah. or another country where, where there was um, uh, extended uncertainty. Like, you see, you think of a program like... I mean, let's say hypothetically, a uh, Paw Patrol or something. I'm, I'm, I'm not, or or Dora the Explorer, and you look at the end credits and you see that yeah, certain things are done in Japan, certain things are done in Korea, certain things are done in Spain, certain things are done in Mexico, and yeah, we very say, well, well, maybe if Mexico can't do this one part, we can find someone else who can do that one part. Yeah, exactly, and like, and at a ground level in the studio, um, for an animation studio, it has it's it's so multinational because it's such a highly specialized skills that you need to have throughout the studio that like you couldn't just have Irish people say (laughs) for a big production like there's just not the numbers Um, so the freedom of movement around the EU is was really 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 good for animation so I don't know how it would do without it <laughs> I'll say uh, it's it definitely for, for things like this particularly that as well combinations of skills as well as just the actual skills themselves yeah you yeah. want the one person to know all these different things that's it it's, it is an interesting thing and Kurt, like we for adult television uh, we tend we get an awful lot of it coming from just from Britain and, and America but children's television tends to be a lot more international yeah. you're more likely to get you're more likely to get uh, something made in South Africa or made in Germany in children's television than you are for adults to actually sit down and watch something made in those countries. Yeah, yeah. It depends a lot as well on like the uh, the big broadcasters and stuff. They have certain like, um, not, I don't want to say tastes, but like American 
uh, broadcasters like to have it written by Americans. Yes. So, so a lot of our writers will be American. They'd either be in-house with us or they would be written in America or Canada and sent to us. Um, and they like their directors to be American. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Not that, all the time, but... That is interesting. I wonder why that is. I think they, they trust their... They think that, like, maybe their sense of humor and stuff is more, mm-hmm. you know, in line with, with what Americans like. It's funny because it, it seems to go completely against kind of the trends in wider Hollywood when you're seeing all these kind of big kind of... Um, if you think, say, when a, when a show, I remember when the when the Good Wife was on, so much of the cast were either British or Australian. It was it was just kind of comical. You'd have all these people, you know, like you had these two English actors, but kind of shouting at each other, both pretending to be American. It was like a like a like a school play almost. And yeah. then <laughs> In and so much, so many kind of large films are directed by people from all around the world, and even to the point that they saying that you know that they couldn't get an American to play kind of a Batman or Spider Man, and then but when it comes to cartoons, it's no, we absolutely. And the the big thing is the control of children's minds. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's not all the time, but I definitely have seen it happen with specifically with those roles. They just like to have Americans in those positions. <laughs> it's it's just yeah, it's it's really fascinating me, right? But, but that's um, and this gets to think that the the animation business is something is is one of the businesses where translation is. And translation and those kinds of languages is, is something that's front and center of the business. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we are very interested here in Mother Folklore. Yeah, like we have different little things uh, within animation where like you can't have text in a background. Yes. Because it can't translate it. So like sometimes you, like in, uh, so to continue my story, when, when I came oh, back yeah. to Dublin, <laughs> we're skipping all over the place. <laughs> that's all right. Um, tangents on this show, never heard of. <laughs> um so when I came back to Dublin, uh, I asked Brownbag, can I, you know, I really want to stay with you guys, but I'm very homesick and I want to move home. You know, it's been seven years and um, mm. I don't want to have English children. <laughs> that, was, uh, my mother, that was the thing that my mother made me come back with. She goes, if you stay there and you have children that have English accents, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Well, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just thinking of the poor, the poor little chiffons and rouchines over in, <laughs> over, over in, in Stoke on Trent listening now. But how horrified would you be if to be like, mummy? And you'd be like, oh God, <laughs> my name is Ma. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's a funny one. I think because, you know, you grow up and you meet the English cousins or people out and they say, you know, oh, my mum is from Tra Round. And then think, God. What if that was my own kid saying that? Oh, God. You, you couldn't <laughs> live with them. You'd be like, what have I done? <laughs> but anyway, so, um, yeah, I moved back and they gave me a position in Brownbag Dublin. And they said, you know, there's no art director positions open. And I said, that's fine. I'll apply for uh, another thing because it was also a 3D studio, which I had never worked in before. So this is like computer generated animation. Um, and I was used to working in 2D. So I came in uh, as a concept artist, like a, a 2D designer was my title, mm-hmm. um, and kind of learnt from the ground up again. Um, so I worked on Vampirina for Disney for eight months, oh. seven months, eight months. And it was great. It was so much fun because Vampirina is like this kind of spooky show. So mm-hmm. we got to get quite dark and, and with it and like kind of reference all these like classic horror movies, which it was just so much fun, so refreshing to work on. That sounds cool. Yeah. And there's a lot of attention to detail in some of these shows yeah. as well. I yeah. Think. Oh, mm. you wouldn't believe it. Like if you mm-hmm. sat in one of our meetings talking about like, what color should this bicycle be? <laughs> there's like a full blown argument between adults. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And then after that, I got to art direct 
eight music videos, um, 2D for uh, Brown Bag, which are coming out next month. Excellent. And I'm, I'm really excited about them. So they were, did I say they were for Disney? I don't know if I'm... You didn't say that, you said they, they were music videos, but you said mentioned Disney for something else. But It is for yeah. Vampirina as well. So they're uh, 2D music videos coming out on the Disney Channel first and then they'll be on YouTube hopefully that I can share them mm. <laughs> because who pays for the Disney Channel anymore in this day and age it's uh it, it does feel like a luxury I think that's because it's you something you have to you pay for separately it's not like something that comes with Sky Sports yeah yeah it's uh yeah it's, it's a trick because I know you come back um you know there's, you, there's a lot of kids channels and you're skipping through you get pop for free you get CBBS for free there's an awful lot of not non-animated stuff on the CBBS. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's interesting actually because my youngest sister, so like my generation would have definitely grown up with uh, cartoons. Yeah. Front and forefront of every kid's channel was cartoons and especially 2D animation. So my favorite kind of animation is unabashedly 2D. Yeah. I love it. Um, but my other sister grew up with a lot of these like That's So Raven and like, you know, all these live action kids shows. Yeah. And she's kind of freaked out by animation. She doesn't like it at all. It's a strange thing, isn't it? It's but I don't know how much I trust her because she also doesn't like The Princess Bride. Ah, here. I know. She stopped watching it halfway through. <laughs> she stopped watching it at the at the bit where they're in the fire swamp. She was like, but this is shit. I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> I mean, it's... Okay. <laughs> okay, I have a lot of feelings here. Um, <laughs> I'm absolutely stumped, Derek. <laughs> no, it's, it's like I think I, it's possible now. I can understand maybe some people thinking that some of the production values are a little bit hokey, and there's a, and maybe some people don't relate too much to Buttercup. Maybe yeah. that, that can be a thing. But but like overall, now the Princess Bride is a, is a goddamn masterpiece, and I know I just I've, I've seen children watching it and just getting completely drawn in. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know what. what, what so happened. she doesn't like cartoons. She doesn't like Princess Bride. Does she like pizza? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <gasps> I should ask her. Nah, says you have an alien in the house. <laughs> a Shifra. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. definitely. She's uh, she's been she's one of those uh, been swapped out as as fairy children. Is that what a Shifra? That's, that's what a Shifra is. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's, she's totally Shifred. She totally is. <laughs> she's from me timbers. <laughs> Jesus, Dirk. <laughs> um. <laughs> No, where, where was I? What, what was it? What, what was the thing that I was oh, leading into that? With? I think we were talking about the fact that your sister watched a lot of live action driven kind of uh, that, that that there's more. There's a whole generation yeah. growing up with less animation. Yeah. So now, um, because everything is uh, 3D animated, mm. I I think fully that you know that's the preferred thing for young children. Yeah. Um, when they grow up, they'll probably be more impressed by computer generated animation, um, and that'll be their like you know all the Disney films now are all CG. The it, but I think though there's um I do think say with the, some of the, the computer generated kind of uh, things like Frozen and things like that yeah it's 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 it looks it looks a bit more subtle it's not you don't have the, the same uncanny valley like whereas when I see Alvin and the Chipmunks it just <laughs> creeps me out it's because they're mixed in with with real people whereas like so there you can see the exaggeration in their features whereas if everybody is exaggerated you kind of have the suspension of disbelief where you're like, this is this world. Mm -hmm. Whereas that one is just like, what the fuck is that? Because <laughs> <laughs> there's this Alvin cartoon and then there's something weird about their noses or something. It's just, uh, it's upsetting. It and, is very uh, upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care for it. So it's, um, getting back to, I suppose, the, the, when, when you're working a cartoon, it, it, it then for things like lip syncing and stuff, that's something that has to be taken into account for the, the fact that a cartoon's going to be produced in various languages. Like say, if you're working yeah. on now, 
that was being made in English, but it was also going to be broadcast around the same time in French and German and possibly other languages too. How did that come, in, come into the development? So on every show I've ever worked on, it's been lip sync to English. Um, we we get voice records in um, mm-hmm. that are the the show is lip sync to, um, and it's always English, and then the the dub is always done over it. So we we don't do several different lip syncs for different languages. Unfortunately, okay. that would cost an enormous amount. I'm, gl- of money. I'm glad it's been clarified. That makes more sense now. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was interesting when we were working on Nella actually, because it, the the original um, scratch uh, audio was done in an American accent. All of the actors were American. Mm-hmm. But through tests with the uh, the English audience, because it was being broadcast on Nickelodeon UK as well, that was their other big market, um, the parents were complaining about the American accents. They didn't want them to be American. Yeah. So they did a dub in an English accent. They hired all these English actors to just dub over English mm-hmm. in, in just another accent. So every time I see Nella on TV... It's bizarre seeing it because we would have worked entirely with the with the American cast. Mm-hmm. That's gas because there's uh, there's the two different versions of Paw Patrol as well. Is there? Yeah, there's a kind of like one Canadian American accented one, there's an English accented one, and he's kind of like got a um, uh, the boy um, with, with all the dogs rider. <laughs> boy with all the dogs. No, is that not the premise of the show? <laughs> yeah, well, your man. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it. He's, he's, he's got like kind of a uh, it's. it's a, is it kind of a yeah? He has, he has a he has a yeah. He has an English accent and the dogs have English accents, but there's also the American ones. And I presume that there's um that this is carried across as well. But that's a I mean I presume there's a there's only one example I know of two French versions, mm-hmm. and that's The Simpsons. That there's a Canadian French a Quebecois version and a Parisian French version. Oh, that's interesting. And so much so that there's the episode of The Simpsons when Bart is on a French exchange and he has to show represent not speaking French around them. Yeah, he's speaking Quebecois French and they are speaking you know, France French around yeah, them. And yeah, then yeah. when he finally cops it on, he just, they do the switch. But that's, uh, I guess it does happen. I, this, I keep wondering now if um, with Irish language productions, if they have to uh, you know, pick a conch and run with it. <laughs> or just go then, dark line all the way. They'd just be complaining throughout, though, wouldn't they? No matter what dialect they picked for for our Irish. Yeah, I think that's if they if because people get so much um, you hear so much trauma from the 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 Errol test and the Leaving Cert about studying all Irish. But uh, <laughs> it'd be fun just to stick it in a cartoon, just you know, to scare people straight again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Join us in Cork on October 13th. That's a Sunday afternoon in the Spalpeen Fawnock where we will be taking part in the Cork Podcast Festival. Follow Cork Podcast Festival on Twitter for all the details. Tickets are 18 euro and they're selling like hotcakes. So make sure you get yours. Join us in Dublin as well on the 17th of November. We'll be taking part in the Dublin Podcast Festival. We're going to do a double header in the Grand Social with the amazing Irish Passport. So not to be missed. If you're around Dublin, look up Dublin Podcast Festival on Twitter or you can go to Dublin podcastfestival.com So, Kirsten, you also two Irish language books this year. Yeah, so um, I, when I was in the middle of doing the podcast, um, I think it was maybe like a year ago, I want to say, um, Kushlifa approached me. Uh, Gronya from Kushlifa was the uh, contact point for them and she said, you know, I've seen your work on Mother Folklore, we really like it. We would love for you to do some illustrations for our books. And I was just so excited because I've always wanted to be involved in more Irish language publishing and 
you know, mm. the film stuff and animation stuff. And I just get so excited whenever any opportunity like that comes up. Um, so I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> so I illustrated uh, Buscadon and Buscadon was the first book by Onion Leaglin. Mm-hmm. And um, I just did a cover for that. And I think it was 13 interior chapter illustrations, which are just little black and white mm-hmm. kind of things. But they came out great. Like I saw the the printed book when it came out. It looks really good. And I remember when going you were saying one of the things she really liked about it is that the child never sees the full cardboard yeah, robot. Yeah, well, the, this was the thing when they, when they came to me about it. They said, we want it to be uh, in the imagination of whoever is reading it. Like it can look like whatever they want it to. So we don't actually, I think you see the hand, mm-hmm. but that's as far as it goes. <laughs> Excellent. Plus it would be a hard thing to draw. So, you know, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> <laughs> They made my life a lot easier. Absolutely. Um, and the second book was a little more serious. So they, Gronya came back to me again, and this was just before she left um, Kushlefa to go and manage on Shop Alower. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, uh, it was this book by Maura Zeff. Yeah. And it's called Nonin. Nonin. <laughs> That's right. And you, and you did the cover work for that. I did the cover work for that. Which yeah. is absolutely stunning as well. It's a really striking book. It's a, it's a, it was a little more difficult, that one, because I think um, Gronya left in the middle of it, which meant that I was dealing with Jen from Kushlefa instead. And, um, you know, the idea, like, the ideas are not the same with everybody. Mm. So, you know, it's illustrating book covers is a little difficult because sometimes the writer has an idea, sometimes the publisher has an idea, and like, there's sometimes you have your own ideas or like sometimes you're kind of saying to them like listen this won't work yeah so there's a little bit of back and forth and a little bit of like fighting your case almost so for Buscadon that one was easy enough like I did one and they were happy with it and it went ahead uh, Nonin was a little bit more um, back and forth and I had like a yeah. few drafts and I had a few different sketches and ideas and we kind of came to a conclusion then at the end Um. But yeah, it came out really well. Um, I'm really glad that, you know, like if you fold out the book jacket, it's got that nice yellow interior. Yeah. Really pops off. <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, I hope that uh, the people notice it. You know, these things that you're kind of like, I really like this this tiny little color play. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I remember that when my, own, when my own books came out, I was like, are people going to appreciate the fact there's a very fine level of stitching or of page stitching here and, <laughs> and, the, and the, the ribbon bookmark? Well, yeah. people appreciate it. I like the ribbon bookmark because it meant I didn't have to fold any of the pages of, of uh, Crack Baby as I'm, well. <laughs> I'm delighted to hear it. <laughs> so, Kirsten, tell me about uh, cartoons in Irish. So, there's a a number of really exciting things going on at the moment um, in regards to Irish language stuff in animation. And I hope that the trend continues because, you know, it's a bit close to my heart. I would love to work on I've I've never worked on anything of the sort, but uh, I would love to. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on in Cartoon Saloon, Danny Kilkenny. Yes. And uh, I know that Kieran Duffy is an avid listener. So, hey, Kieran. <laughs> hey, bye, bye to Kieran. <laughs> Um, and I hope that I don't get any of this wrong. Please feel free to, to tweet <laughs> me, Kieran, if I do. <laughs> um, but they started off with Secret of Kells, which is a film from, I don't know what year. It's, I remember it's from a few years back. It was yeah. Yeah, about, about 2011 or so, 2012. But yeah, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous film. And I believe there's an Irish language version of it. There is. There certainly is of um, The Song of the Sea, which <laughs> is coincidentally the film that got me back into learning Irish again. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give Tom Moore too much credit, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I watched it when I was in the UK, the English version now, mm. but, um, and I was watching it with an English boyfriend and 
they said a few phrases in Irish and he said, what does that mean? And I got a bit upset. Uh, like, I was very homesick because of the whole film and very upset anyway. And uh, I got even more upset that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, this is my own language and I don't know yeah. uh, what these what these very simple phrases mean. So I dedicated myself to going back on Duolingo. That was my first step. And then mm-hmm. getting more involved in different things. Um, but yeah, if you have any interest in Irish animation, those two are just stunning. And um, recently then they released a number of music videos for T.G. Cahar called Cool on Tea. Have you seen any of them? Oh yes, Cool on Tea. They're absolutely beautiful. Mm. Um, a number of directors, including um, Louise Bagnall, who just got nominated for an Oscar for her short film. Wow. Yeah, so she went over, it's it's called Late Afternoon, the short film, and it it's not Oscar Elga, but it is stunning. Like, I mean... I could watch it over and over and over again. It is just the most stunning thing I've ever seen. Um, and then uh, Paper Panther were involved. So they're a company based in Dublin. They involve um, Podrick Fagan, uh, directed one of the Cool on Tea music videos. But he is also just, I think the film is now released. I don't know if it's available to the public yet or if it's still doing the circuits in the festivals and things. Um, on Gavardov, Godardov. On Gavardov. On Gavardov. Oh. Um, it's an Irish language stop motion, and it, oh. <laughs> it's stop motion. Just the, the, the I, I just um, the, the, the thought the all of the mental work involved. Oh, it's like it's crazy. Mm. But the amount of time that it, I think it, I think it took about four years to make, is what I heard. Um, <laughs> but my God, the, it paid off. Like it's it's like torn paper animation and like it is just mind-blowing um and then evan mcnamara is also in paper panther um he does a number of like he did uh on tarak here oh was a little short um i think it was based out on the iron islands and it's like this very strong lighting um gorgeous (laughs) so yeah there's there's really 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 exciting stuff going on um from Brown Bag, there's been a number of because they, you know they were set up in '94, uh, so we turned 25 this year. Excellent. And um, but they, you know, we do a lot of stuff for the American clients at the moment, so it's a lot of you know big production series, TV stuff. Um, but for years and years, they were doing a lot of Irish shorts and yeah. uh, a lot of stuff that was funded by. The, you know grants and things like that mm-hmm. so um irish people will definitely recognize um give up your all sins <laughs> yes give up your all sins is that we've, we've mentioned this in the podcast before it is a just a wonderful show when because back in the 1950s or possibly the 1960s a um a nun from Donegal, i think was uh just interviewed um Dublin inner city children to talk and they just told Bible stories with this great enthusiasm and this great kind of um lo- local idiomatic terms of phrase and it just and then it just it just turned out to be a wonderful source for animation. Yeah, so um Cahill Gaffney, who is the CEO and one of the founders of Brown Bag, uh, directed it. And he doesn't like to watch it anymore. I think he's seen it so many mm, times. It, it was it was it was Oscar nominated um back when it was made. But they just got this raw audio of this 
kid telling the story of um, John the Baptist yeah, and animated to it like they did the lip sync over it and did all these little animations and it's it's so funny like I've mm. seen it so many times and I still laugh every time I see it yeah um, but yeah Brown Bag also did um, a show called Grabby Bag a few years back which was um, created written by and directed by Dave McCamley who I hope he won't mind me saying is like my work dad. <laughs> so he's my boss, but mm. um, he's also like a brilliant mentor and just like so supportive. And, you know, he's great. He actually um, worked on The Lion King. Oh, wow. Back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, all the, the, the scene in The Lion King when they come back and it's all like dead and. Oh, yes. Uh, shitty. Yeah. <laughs> he painted all those backgrounds. <laughs> so when they announced the new Lion King, the the live action one, mm -hmm. I like kicked his door in and I was just like, have you seen it? <laughs> He's horrified. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine. I'd say if you worked in something that, that was that, that was that significant at the time, yeah. uh, you don't want to see it remade with, yeah. uh, with like that. Yeah, because I think like he worked on a number of other Disney films. Like I think he worked on uh, Atlantis and um, a little bit on Pocahontas. You know, all these like just unbelievable films um, mm. from my childhood. Uh, but anyway, he so this series that he did for RT um, is called Grabby Bag and it's about an alien who comes to Earth and ends up in Ireland. And uh, it's like a, it's a show for toddlers so it's about him learning Irish, yeah. which I think is just the cutest thing. Like mm. all of the voices are done by children, like just Irish children. And there's something so cute about that little accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's bilingual, so it's kind of like they'll speak English and then litter Irish words throughout. So they'll say, "Oh, you know, we're going down the end of the gorging," and like, mm. "Oh, Gahintuk," and you know, little little things like this. And they'll focus on a word or phrase per episode to learn. So the idea of it was to uh, introduce preschoolers to Irish before they go into sec uh, primary school. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's very cute, and there's a lot of clips of it on YouTube. You know if. Anybody. Grabby bag. Check it out. <laughs> if anybody has any interest in showing it to their kids or watching it, you know, it's, it's very cute as well. It certainly sounds it. Before we wrap up, um, do you have a, I like to ask all our guests, I'm sure you've heard so many of these, sorry, what their favourite Irish word is. I was, you know, I've been thinking about this <laughs> for, for ages because I, I listen to the raw tapes of every single episode before I illustrate. That's right. I do actually, I'm going to ask you about that, that, that process. Some people wonder, like, how, how do you come up with an image for each episode? So um, when we started doing the podcast, I would listen to it and then I'd talk to Derek about our and swap ideas. But now <laughs> I've cut Derek out of that equation <laughs> and I just do it and send it to him and he'll be happy with whatever I send him. <laughs> No, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> if I'm stuck for an idea, you know, I still talk to, to Derek and try and guess a feeling for what he's thinking because he comes up with some brilliant ideas as well. Um, but yeah, I listen to it and try and just cling on to any sort of uh, visual that'll pop into my head. And like so, some episodes are a lot more difficult than others. Any that are dealing with specifically like grammar. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to to come up with a visual, an interesting visual for that. Yes. Um yeah, it is, it is hard when something's an abstract concept to put a visual to it, but you find a way. Usually, yeah. from the from like comes something comes out of the chats. Yeah, no, exactly. This is why it's so important, I think, to listen to the raw tapes, is because like these little side jokes and little tangents that people go on. You know, you will find something in there that will make a good episode, and then like the title will be something like the letter V, 
and mm. then the visual will be something completely different and somebody's yeah. like you know I like to think that it makes people go oh I wonder what what that's about and like why it's why it's like that it'd be a great response recently to the, the Sylvanian families in, <laughs> in handcuffs <laughs> image that people people saw what the where, where is this going and <laughs> I people knew that having seen that that, that that it was going to be explained somehow yeah <laughs> well like this was the thing because I posted that on my Instagram people were like but why are, the, why are they in handcuffs? And I said, you have to listen to the episode. They're like, but why? And I'm like, just listen to the episode. <laughs> um, but yes, going back to mm. favourite Irish words, because like, I think every time I listen to it, I'm always thinking like, what, what would mine be? You know, <laughs> what would I say if I was ever asked? And the time has come now. <laughs> um, so I have two. Oh. Um, and they're both kind of like junior infants words, as I would call them. <laughs> Brilliant. I love the word ishka. I love it too. I think it's it's just sounds so great and like it's one of those words that when you write it down uh, people who don't speak Irish have no idea to pronounce it which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the word Farragher. Farragher, I do love the word Farragher. It's, uh, I love it. Um, there's, there's music in there. I'm both Ishka and Farragher, they both sound a little bit like the movement of water. Yeah, exactly. And I think Farragher gets that, like, that, that crashing waves kind of, like it makes me think rather than... Um, it actually looks like waves when you write it down with the Fs and the Rs. Oh, well, that's true. Oh, so visual. <laughs> um, like unlike Mara, Mara sounds quite peaceful and you know like a calm sea, whereas Farragut sounds like something yeah. more stormy. Exactly, um, exactly, which reminds me of Ireland. You know, we don't often get calm seas. <laughs> That's true, we don't. Excellent, Kirsten. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Derek. Until the next time, here's a slant from me and a slant from me. Catch you then. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We had a lot of fun recording it, but we had even more fun knowing that you, our listener, will be at the other end of the headphones. Thank you very much to Brian for producing the show. And thank you to Kirsten Scheel for the artwork. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kirsten. You know, we do, I think your artwork is a huge part of the show's popularity and you deserve to be thanked in person. Thank you so much. If anybody would like to see more of my artwork, go to kirstenshield.com. Well, you'll find my whole portfolio, except for the part that's password protected, which you're not allowed to look at. (laughs) But the rest of it is all there. (laughs) KirstenShield.com. That's the one. Kirsten, if people want to contact the show, where should should they email? Oh, God, I don't know. (laughs) Motherfuckloreheadstuff.org. Motherfuckloreheadstuff.org. Good stuff. (laughs) Brian, can you edit out the bit where I didn't know the email address? (laughs) If, um... (laughs) <laughs> head stuff comes out every Friday in the Head Stuff Podcast. I'm sorry. Motherfucker comes out every Motherfucker comes out every Friday in the Head Stuff Podcast Network. If you cannot wait that long for your next podcast fix, Head Stuff have some other fine shows. Dubland is back from hiatus, and that's worth checking out. Sloan, and see you soon. This has been a production of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. It's kind of like engineering, engineering for the heart.